Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Of our uh, summer series that we are calling the Answer, where we are stuttering, uh, stuttering, studying through uh, the book of First Corinthians all summer long. And if you've been with us, you know that traditionally the way I start these sermons out is by giving a recap, so that all of those who are new in the room can kind of catch up to speed, and we're all on the same page. Uh, I have more content than I have time this morning, so I'm going to keep the recap very brief. Uh, the reason we are studying through the book of First Corinthians is because our city, San Francisco, and their city, ancient Corinth, have a lot in common. If I could distill it down to a simple thought, it would be this. They were jacked and we're jacked, all right? They were a hot mess, we're a hot mess. They had problems, we have problems. But the Apostle Paul saw a city like Corinth, a very dark place, as the perfect location to plant a church because he, like us, believed that the light of the gospel shines brightest in the darkest of places. And so he planted this church in AD 49, and hundreds of people began to come to Christ, and they were getting baptized and added into the community of faith. In fact, it grew so quickly that he felt he could go off and move off into his missionary endeavors just after a year and a half. And so he leaves, but shortly after his departure, he begins to get some frantic letters from these young believers in Corinth who are discovering that it's quite a bit more difficult to live for God than they anticipated in their wicked culture. In fact, the ways of Corinth were making their way into the church. And so Paul responds with this letter, which we now know as 1 Corinthians, and with every single one of those problems, he begins to describe for the believers how the gospel of Jesus Christ provides an answer for their situation, hence the title of the series, The Answer. And since our cities are very similar, we've gone to this book every single week, and chapter by chapter, we've contextualized the problem that Paul addresses, and we've discovered for ourselves how the gospel still provides answers for us, now 2,000 years later, in our churches for the problems that we face. And since we are in the 10th week, uh, we are going to the 10th chapter today to discuss yet another problem that I think was not just resident in Corinth, but something that we continue to deal with today, and that is the problem of resisting temptation, resisting temptation. See, in their culture, they began to discover rather quickly, these young believers, that, that it was difficult for them to resist the temptations of their old life. As we've said every single week, the, the culture was sexually progressive. It was sinfully indulgent. And so many of these believers were recognizing that it wasn't just as simple as giving their life to Christ, but there were some things that they needed to resist now so they didn't fall back into their old ways. And sadly, many of them were falling into temptation and thus falling out of the church. And I would love to announce today that that problem does not exist in the church any longer, that we've figured it out but I think we would all agree that problem is still very present in the churches today. I could look around this room this morning and point to chairs that used to be occupied by people whom I love, whom I still pray for, whom I still reach out to, that used to be numbered among the saints and gathered here in the room, but today they find themselves missing in action. They're no longer among the gathered brethren, lifting up their hands, singing praise to God. And it's not because we had a theological disagreement and it's not because they moved out of the city it's because temptation got the best of them. It's because they found themselves falling back into some of those old Corinthian ways. And such was the case in Corinth. These believers loved God, but they just couldn't seem to resist many of the temptations around them. And so Paul, he begins to address this issue head on in chapter 10. And for the first 11 verses, he 
begins to draw some parallels between their church and ancient Israel. And he says, the ways of Israel in the desert serve as an example and a warning to us as to what happens if we find ourselves incapable of resisting temptation. But then in verse 12 of this chapter, he begins to turn a corner and he offers what I would consider to be some of the most significant advice in all of scripture about resisting temptation. Is that, and that's what we're gonna focus on today for all of our time together. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, chapter 10, verse 12, he says this. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, I know that's short. Don't be fooled by the short nature of that text. I know it's a lot shorter than some of the others that we've explored in this series. But despite its short nature, it is incredibly powerful. There is a ton of application in there. I said this last service, I'm gonna say it again. It's like my Italian mama. She's short, but she's powerful, all right? She'll take care of some business. And such is the case for this scripture. So without further ado, let me offer you a title and then we're gonna get into this. I wanna call this chat Undercoming Temptation. Undercoming temptation. Don't you mean overcoming temptation? No, I mean undercoming temptation. And you'll see why in just a couple of moments. Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, right now, we, we thank you for the timeless truth of your word. I thank you that uh, you see all of the things we face on this side of eternity. And you wanna give us the tools to ensure that we don't fall into the traps of the enemy. Right now, I pray that the, the content of this morning's message would be helpful that we would learn what your word has to say about this subject and that you would equip us to walk in freedom and victory in this area. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as I said a moment ago, this text is, is loaded with application. But when I read this scripture, one of the first things that I notice is the very intentional language that the apostle Paul uses to address a common misconception that we've developed in the church as it pertains to the subject of temptation. Uh, he, he says this, he says, God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but when you are tempted. Emphasis on when, when you are tempted, not if, he will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Everyone say under it. Come on, say it like you mean it, under it. See, that tells me, this wording tells me that temptation is never something that we are supposed to get over, but it's something that we are supposed to stand under. I think many believers are waiting for a magical day where the things that tempt them no longer tempt them. A day where I don't have to deal with that thing anymore and I don't feel drawn to that anymore and God, would you make it go away? The destruction of your proverbial kryptonite, if you will. But Paul tells us that that will probably never happen because it was not God's intention for us to get over temptation, but rather to learn how to resist it, to stand under it. Did you know that if you went to the Bible today and you searched for the phrase overcoming temptation, you will not find it? It does not exist in the Bible. That is a phrase that Christians have made up to deal with temptation. Oh, we're just gonna get over it one day, but it's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, every time you see this phrase mentioned in scripture, speaking about Christians dealing with temptation, you will see the language that Paul is using here. To endure it, to resist it, to stand up under it, but not to get over it. And, and that might sound like pedantic, a pedantic thing to say or splitting hairs, but there's a reason that God used very intentional language about temptation. 
He used it because if, if you get over something, if you overcome something, you never have to deal with it again. You conquer it and it's gone once and for all. But if temptation is something that isn't going to go away, but instead it's something that we're gonna have to deal with for the rest of our lives, then we don't need to wait for a day where we overcome it. We must learn as believers how to fight against it, how to resist it, and how to come up underneath it. Let me remind us today, God wants you to be a strong believer. Not a flaky Christian, but a strong believer. God is not interested in an underdeveloped, over-nurtured church filled with frail Christians that don't know how to fight. He wants us strong. He wants us to be capable of overcoming the enemy. I think sometimes we, we buy into this weak theology of escapism where we think that God's job is to act as a wall from everything bad in our lives. He just, we run behind the wall and God fights all the battles for us and we never have to truly develop into disciplined, strong believers. But that's not Bible. Yes, there are scriptures, just to be clear, that speak to the fact that God will be your shelter and you can hide under the shadow of his wings and that he'll fight your battles for you. But that is the exception, friends, and not the rule. Look at, more often than not in scripture, he wants us disciplined. He wants us to know how to fight. David said in Psalm 18, you train my hands for war. Why would you train his hands for war if we wasn't supposed to fight? Yes, Joshua and the Israelites, they marched around Jericho seven times and the walls fell, but that was a one-time battle plan. Every city they conquered after that, they actually had to fight. Jehoshaphat, he sends the army out onto the field and there's an army larger than them out there and, and they sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And God sends angels to ambush the enemy and take him out. But that was a one-time battle plan. Every city after that, every battle after that, they didn't send out the singers, they sent out the warriors with some swords to fight. And such is the case for us. Yes, there will be times that God says, I just want you to stand on the sidelines and worship and watch me work. But friend, more often than not, you're gonna have to learn how to fight some battles if we're gonna see victory. There is no victory without a battle. Come on, there is no conquering if there is no conflict. As Paul said to Timothy, we've been called to fight the good fight of faith, which includes the ability to overcome temptation. But that shouldn't scare us. Like, oh, do I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to, no, it shouldn't scare us because according to Paul, it is a battle you can win. What did he say? He, he said that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Meaning, if you were not able to resist it, God would take that temptation away. But by very nature of the fact that it still exists in your life, it is proof that God sees something inside of you that you may not see inside yourself right now. There is a strength buried in your spirit that is yet to be awakened, and you can overcome your enemy by resisting temptation. You can stand up under it. Which brings us to the million-dollar question of the day. How am I supposed to do that? If this is God's will to resist temptation, how do I do that? Because it feels like I'm falling into it time and time and time again. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> here's what I wanna do for the remainder of our time together. I wanna spend our remaining moments looking at three keys to undercoming temptation. That may be better worded in light of the way that I have written these three Bs if we are going to truly resist Temptation. The first of them is found in the opening lines of the text we're studying today, where Paul tells us we need to be careful. Be careful. Uh, he says this in verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. 
So Paul says if we are going to truly resist, we need to be careful. Especially, he says, if you think you're standing strong, because that overconfidence could be the very thing that leads to your demise. Oh, I'm a strong Christian, everything's fine, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Watch out, buddy, because that is the moment where you trip over yourself and you'll fall. So don't be overconfident. Apparently, over, uh, undercoming temptation is not a, an issue of confidence, it's an issue of being careful. So what does that mean? Well, in, in the Greek, this word careful is the word blepo, and it means to examine, to discern, or understand. To understand. So, so, so being careful is not this timidity or this ever-present fear that at any moment I might trip and fall into temptation. It's not like spiritual paranoia. No, it, it's, a, it's an awareness. It's a discernment. It is an understanding. To, to put it simply, Paul is saying, if we are going to resist temptation, then we need to understand both of our, ourselves and the tactics of our enemy, lest through ignorance we fall in his trap. To, to borrow a phrase from the wise Sun Tzu in Art of War, he says it like this. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Those are wise words. But if uh, Sun Tzu is too lofty for you, I offer the words of G.I. Joe. <laughs> Knowing <laughs> is half the battle. There it is. <laughs> Got to know your audience, you know. <laughs> you have to know yourself and you have to know your enemy. How does my enemy work? How does he tempt me? And why does it feel like I continue to fall into those temptations over and over again? Well, for that, we turn to another apostle, and that is the man James. He says this in his first chapter, verse 13. He says, remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, now notice that Paul and James use virtually the same language here. Both say, when you are tempted, reminding us once again of the inconvenient truth, it ain't going anywhere. You're gonna have to learn how to deal with this thing. It will be your ever-present enemy. But then James takes it a step further, and he says, I need to tell you that when you are being tempted, you need to remember that temptation itself is not sin. It can give birth to sin. If you act on that temptation, it becomes sin. But the temptation itself is not sin. Listen, this is really, really important because there's a lot of believers that get messed up when they don't understand this. I think one of the ploys of the enemy is to weaponize temptation and cause us to accept shame for actions that we have not ever committed. He makes you feel ashamed of the things that are happening on the inside, even when you don't act upon those things. And by borrowing shame from an action you haven't committed, you end up eating yourself alive on the inside. And you know what happens when you feel ashamed, right? You run. You run and you hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden at the beginning of time. And I think there are so many believers that are running and hiding and staying at a distance from God and a distance from people not because they've necessarily done anything wrong, 
but because they are terrified of being judged for what's happening on the inside of them. They feel shame for the things that tempt them, even though they're not acting upon those temptations. But James says, I want to remind you, temptation is not sin. Do not borrow shame from something you have not done. That is not yours. That's just a ploy of the enemy, and you need to recognize, I don't belong to me. Temptation is not sin. Well, but if it's not sin, then what is it? Again, James tells us, he says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and they drag us away. If you're taking notes, write this down. Temptation is Satan's appeal to innate ungodly desires. Satan's appeal to innate ungodly desires. I I hate to break this to you, and and I'm sorry if this makes you feel a little uncomfortable, but you have some ungodly desires inside of you. Who, me? Yeah. You nasty on the inside. (laughs) And to be honest, so am I. Pastor Tip, not my pastor. Yeah, I'm a wreck in here. If you knew half the stuff that happened in here and in here, you would go grab your kids from kids' church right now and you would find yourself another church. But you'd be disappointed when you got there because that pastor's just as jacked up as I am and he's just as jacked up as the rest of us are because Jeremiah says that all of our hearts are deceitfully wicked. So don't judge me because you got the same stuff and he got the same stuff. We're all jacked. We all have some ungodly desires on the inside of us. And those desires, whether we realize it or not, they are innate. Meaning they did not develop over time. They didn't just show up out of the blue. They've been there for a long time. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that they've been there since you were born. Permission to go a little bit deeper at 11 o'clock service on a Sunday morning, okay. David, thank you, Dad, let's go. David says in Psalm 51, he says, I was formed in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. That word iniquity, it means a bend or a twist. It speaks to proclivities and propensities and predispositions that are unique to each of us. David's saying that I was born with some bends. I was born with some twists. There's some things that were formed without my permission inside of my mother's womb that for whatever reason, I'm just bent that way. I'm twisted that way. I'm drawn to that thing. I have this propensity and this proclivity. It's It's been there since birth. And all of us have these. They're uniquely different for each of us, but everybody has some bends. We're all twisted, whether we like it or not. Maybe your bend is is pride. Maybe your bend is greed. Maybe anger is what twists you up. A sexual disposition, a self-hatred, a self-harm, violence. We all have some bends, some things that are twisted up on the inside of us. We don't even necessarily know why. They're just, they're just there. But we're not the only ones who know about it. Your enemy knows about it too. And those are the bends which he appeals to in an effort to tempt you and ultimately destroy you. The enemy has been a student of your life and he has watched to see where you trip, 
what you say, what you do, so that he can attempt to appeal to the brokenness on the inside of you, knowing that if I can get their outside circumstance to match with their inner brokenness, I can cause them to fall. That's temptation. Satan's appeal to innate ungodly desires. Uh, Let me illustrate it for us. Um, This is a, a crystal glass. And all crystal has a, 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 a resonant frequency built into it, a, a note or a tone woven into the fabric of its existence. In the case of this class, it is a B flat at roughly 50 to 100 hertz, and it sounds like this. Thank you. For the record, it's not my wine glass. Uh, it's someone else's. <laughs> now, when this glass was made, it didn't get to choose its frequency. It didn't appeal to the maker and say, could you put a B-flat in me? That'd be great. It was just manufactured that way. You could go as far as to say, It was born that way. But if I became a student of this glass long enough, if I listened long enough, I could learn that frequency. And if I learned that frequency, I could begin to do something on the outside that would cause that which is innate to resonate. Allow me to demonstrate. It's no big deal. It's just a party trick I learned. It's fine. It's whatever. I'm available for hire for your next bar mitzvah. Whatever you need, I'm here to serve. Robin hates it because I literally do that all the time. (laughs) She's like, we get it. You know what be flat. But here's the deal. If I was able to match that note long enough and loud enough, eventually this glass would vibrate with such violence that it would shatter. I could cause this glass to destroy itself simply by resonating with the frequency that is innate. And that is exactly how temptation works. The enemy does things on the outside of your life to resonate with the brokenness that's on the inside until you end up resonating so violently and so loudly that you can't help yourself any longer and eventually you trip and fall and destroy yourself. He didn't have to fight you, he just had to sing that familiar tune and suddenly, you self-destruct. Which is exactly why Paul says we need to be careful We cannot be naive to the tactics of the enemy. We have to understand how he works. If we don't understand how he works, we'll never be able to combat temptation. However, now that we know, we can prepare ourselves accordingly. We can equip ourselves to ensure that we don't succumb to that familiar song, which brings us to point number two. Not only do we need to be careful, but number two, we also need to be filled. Be filled. 
uh, using the exact same language, the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 5, so be careful, blepo, be careful how you live. Don't live like an idiot, <laughs> that's my translation, but live <laughs> like those who are wise. And how do we do this, Paul? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are going to resist temptation, we cannot afford to be empty. We need to be filled. Back to the glass. One of the reasons I was able to resonate with the innate frequency of this glass is not simply because it has it woven into its existence, but also because the glass is empty. If I were to take this exact same glass and I were to fill it, That was really good. <laughs> Suddenly, ooh, <laughs> ooh, it doesn't resonate any longer. I could stand here and scream a B-flat at 80 hertz as long as I want to, and nothing will happen. Why? Because the empty space has been filled with something else. And as it is for the crystal, so it is for the Christian. If, if we want to resist temptation, we gotta be filled. I think so often the reason we fall into the same things over and over and over again is not because we don't love God or not because our faith isn't genuine. It's because we're empty. We're not filled with the Spirit, and so when the enemy comes to sing that familiar song and find ground to resonate, it works. In fact, let me take it a step further. Not only do you need to be filled, you need to be filled to the brim. You need to be completely filled. If you go back to the original language of this text, when Paul says to be filled, he uses the present imperative text in the uh, verb in the Greek. And that tense, if we were to word it in English, would sound something like this, to be being filled, or be completely filled, or always filled, or, or to the top. He's saying you, you can't afford to leave any empty spaces in your life. You must be filled to the brim. Because if you take this same glass, and you were to dump out some of the water, a little more, guess what happens? it continues to ring. I won't do it again, but I could sing to it and make it do what I want it to do. <laughs> and yet this is how so many Christians live their life. Oh, I'm gonna go to church for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. I'm gonna get my feeling, I got my Jesus fix. Go a couple, a couple Sundays a month if I need it, whether I think I need it or not. And then suddenly we wonder why we're constantly falling into the same temptations over and over and over again. You got empty space in your life. And as long as there's empty space, the enemy will appeal to the empty spaces. And when you sing, you fall. So you got to be filled. Now, let's make this super practical. Put some handles on it. Because obviously the phrase, be filled with the Spirit, can be somewhat nebulous if we're not careful. So, so let me make this super simple. How are we filled? Well, worship is one of the ways you fill up. Lifting up your voice, inviting the Spirit of God into the places you find yourself. May your worship not be confined to this building at 2850 19th Avenue on a Sunday morning for a couple of moments, but may you worship in your cars and in your homes and as you walk down the street, freak people out, worship in the grocery store, invite Jesus into every space to fill it. 
You fill yourself through prayer. The Bible says pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. Pray in the spirit. Pray with words of understanding. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. When you pray, God, fill me. That's a prayer he honors and he responds to. But I think one of the greatest ways we stay filled is by consuming the word of God. I know I've said this a billion times, but I'm gonna say it a billion more. There is no greater weapon you have been given to combat temptation than the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. This is your weapon in the face of temptation. One of my life verses, Psalm 119, verses nine and 11, David says, how can a man stay pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The word of God memorized and hidden in your heart, it is like ammo in the clip. And I'm sorry if that's an inappropriate reference in our context, but I'm gonna use it anyway. It's like ammo in the clip. It does you no good to show up to a fight with an empty clip. You can't pistol whip the devil. I don't know, I'm trying to appeal to the people in the hood here today, all right? You gotta have, some. someone's like, I'm leaving, that's it. First you said there's jacked up stuff in your heart, now you're talking about guns, I'm out. Whatever, you need this loaded in your heart if you're gonna overcome temptation, if you're gonna be able to stand against the enemy. And here's the deal, I said overcome, undercome temptation, but here's the deal. You know what you need to have loaded because you know what tempts you. You know your struggles better than anybody else. So if you're tempted by lust, then you need to memorize some scriptures about purity. 2 Timothy 2.20, if I keep myself pure, God will use me for noble purposes. If you are tempted to get angry and fly off the handle, then you need to have some scriptures about peace loaded into your heart. John 14, God, I thank you that you give me peace and the peace that you give me, the world cannot offer. If you struggle with greed and that's your temptation or your bend, then you need to have some scriptures about generosity in your heart. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So even though this is a sacrifice, I thank you, God, that there's a blessing on the other side of it. If you struggle with self-hatred or, or, or self-harm, you need to know what the word of God says about you. Psalm 139, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. I was woven together bit by bit by the master in my mother's womb. If you struggle with pride, you need to have some humility scriptures in your heart. First Peter chapter five, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And man, if everything tempts you, if you're just a hot mess and you don't know how to live for Jesus, you need Galatians five. If I walk with the spirit, I'll have the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know you. And so you know what you need in your heart if you are going to fight the good fight of faith and resist temptation. And if that sounds like preacher talk or too good to be true, then man, just look at Jesus, it worked for him. When he overcame the enemy in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, what did he say? It is written. He didn't go thumbing through the Bible trying to find a scripture that he could use in that situation. It was memorized in his heart so that when the enemy came to defy him and tempt him, he knew exactly what he needed to say. And I know what someone thinking, well, that's easy for Jesus. He's Jesus. I'm Dave. I'm Brent. I don't know what to do. Oh, contraire, Brent. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he did not overcome the enemy in the desert simply by being God. 
No, he did it in his humanity to display for humanity what it looks like to have the word of God loaded in our hearts so that we could employ the same battle strategy and resist temptation when we find ourselves in the wilderness of our lives. You know you. So be filled with the right stuff. Right stuff, baby. Never mind. The right stuff so that you can fight against the enemy. You gotta be careful, but you also gotta be filled. But there remains one more thing we must do if we are going to truly resist temptation. In addition to the first two, last thought, we also need to be focused. Be focused. Last scripture as the worship team comes. Look at this again in the book of James chapter one. He says this. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If you notice here, we're talking about crowns again. Just like we did last week. Seems to be the consistent language of these apostles. Paul said last week, there's a crown for those who finish the race. James now says that there's a crown reserved for those who patiently resist, endure, stand up under temptation. He's reminding us here to keep our focus on the fact that we're all gonna stand before Jesus, we're gonna give an account for our lives, and there is eternal reward attached to our resistance. That our being careful and our being filled is not just a means of earthly accomplishment, but it's the qualification for eternal reward. A couple of weeks ago, we were in this series talking about stewardship, and you might recall we looked at that parable Jesus used in Matthew 25 about the servants the master tells to take care of his, his belongings while he's gone. And when the master returns and he calls the servants to himself, to those who, who were faithful with what he entrusted to them, he says, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy that has been set before you. And we talked about the fact that we've all been given something or things to steward for eternity. That everything God has given to us is intended to be stewarded in this life. Our time, our resources, our talents, and even our suffering is to be stewarded for the cause of his kingdom. But when I read what James says here about crowns, I can't help but wonder if there isn't a well done, reserved for the moments in this life when we resisted temptation. Now think about this for a moment. There you are standing before Jesus. The time has come for you to give an account for your life and the book of your life is opened. And as Jesus makes his way through the pages, he stops at the moments where you said no and you resisted the trap of the enemy and you kept your eyes fixed on Jesus. And as he stops at that moment, he looks at you with pride in his eyes and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy set before you. He comes to the page where there was that night that you were tempted to fall back into your coping mechanisms, the bottle, the pill, the drug, but instead you say, no, I'm gonna rely on Jesus to satisfy me. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He comes to the night that you were tempted to push the envelope sexually and 
yet you chose to pursue purity. And he says, well done, daughter. Well done, son. Enter into the joy set before you. He comes to the page where you lost your job and you were tempted to draw back and not trust him with your resources any longer. The page where you were tempted to sever the relationship and get bitter, but instead you chose to forgive. The page where you wanted to turn your back on God and run the other direction because he didn't answer the prayer the way that you wanted it to, but instead you borrowed the words of the apostle and you said, where else can I go? For you alone have the words of life. And for every single one, he looks back at you with pride in his eyes and says, well done, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. As he places a crown upon your head for eternity as a result of resisting temptation. What a picture. But, but maybe that isn't your story today. Maybe as you sit in this room this morning, you, you find yourself on the other side of temptation. Maybe, maybe you went to the coping mechanism. Maybe you didn't resist in the time of sexual temptation. Maybe you did run from God. And as you sit in the room this morning, you're like, man, I, I don't know if there's any of those well done moments reserved for me. I have good news for you. The scripture says that his grace is sufficient for you, that his power is made perfect in your weakness, and that his mercies are new for you today. So maybe the page that he comes to in your life is today, where you're sitting in the room and you were tempted to continue to run from God and resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you got onto your knees and you said, I surrender my life completely and totally to Jesus. I don't wanna run any longer. I just want forgiveness for all of my brokenness and the empowerment to run after Him. And because of what you will do in this moment, He looks you in the eye and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. That's what we're living for. That, those are the coveted words that we're all clinging to on this side of eternity. Well done. So what do we do? We be careful. We don't live in naivete. We recognize I'm gonna need to fight, but we stay filled and we keep our, our eyes fixed on Jesus, our eyes fixed on eternity. We live with the eternal perspective that one day there's a reward on the other side of this if I can stand up under this temptation. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, equip us today. We just, we ask even right now in, in this room that you'd fill us to the brim. Jesus, you said that if a child asks their father, for bread, you wouldn't give them a scorpion. If you asked for something good, he wouldn't give you a rock in return. And then you said, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So even now, we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Fill us again. I pray for those who've gone into a dry spell in their relationship with you. Right now, would you light that fire again? Would you stir up a hunger again in their heart for the things of God? If there's those of us who've, who've grown weary, would you strengthen us today? Fill us again, Holy Spirit. Fill us again. And as I'm praying that, 
I just one, one more group of people we got to pray for, and, and that would be those who say, I mean, I, I resonate with what you just said a few moments ago. I'm that one who sits on the other side of temptation. I've been saying no to God and yes to everything else, and I find myself at a distance from Him today, but man, I, I want today to be that day that He looks at me and references as He says, well done. If that's you and you need to come back to Jesus today, or you need to make a, a decision for the first time to follow Him, I wanna pray a simple prayer of commitment with you. But as a physical posture of, of what's happening in the spirit, I'm gonna ask this very simply. If you need to pray this prayer along with me, would you just simply lift up your hand and look at me? No one else is looking around, but say, Tim, that's me. I need to be included in this prayer with you. Thank you, bro, got you. Yeah, I got you right there, miss. Yeah, I got you in the back, cool, right on. Yeah, right here, bro, awesome. Yeah, awesome, right there. Cool, got you too, up there. Man, a lot of people, that's awesome. Yeah, got you, sweetheart. <laughs> Thank you for being bold. Oh, that's cool. All right, church, we're gonna repeat after me with all these making this decision so they don't feel alone. Let's praise the family. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Forgive me of my sin and help me to be your disciple. I choose to follow you from this day forward until I see you in eternity and you utter those